in the 23rd chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 23. Praise the Lord. Appreciate the sound, people. Brother Heath, Brother Thurman, Sister Lori. Doing a real good job with the sound. It, the microphone sounds a lot better than it has, so appreciate them. Okay, the 23rd chapter of the book of Genesis. I don't know how often this is preached from, but it's a tremendous chapter in the Word of the Lord concerning the death of Sarah. Okay? So 23, chapter 23, verse 1. And Sarah was 127 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba. The same is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We praise you. Thank you for your awesome word today. I ask your blessing to be upon the reading of it and the preaching of it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So as we have read, we see that Abraham's wife Sarah dies. The importance of Sarah is big in the Scripture. There are only three women um, that we see in the Scripture that are named in relationship to their death. So she's very important. Sarah's one of them. The second one is Jairus' daughter. And the third one is Anna in the Bible. So there's only three, three women uh, that are named here in relationship to their death. And then obviously we see Jairus' daughter was raised and Anna is made reference to. But we see Sarah here, 127 years old, which makes Abraham 137. So the Bible tells us that she dies. And the Scripture says that she dies in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron, and this speaks of a place of fellowship. Now, I know that you've heard about a place named Abraham's bosom in the New Testament in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. Abraham's bosom was where the righteous dead went in the Old Testament. So when we see Hebron here and we see the place uh, that she is going to be buried, Hebron is a type of Abraham's bosom. It is a type of heaven. Okay, because we have the righteous being buried here. We're going to have Abraham will eventually be buried here. Sarah's buried here. Isaac's going to be buried there. Jacob's going to be buried there. Re Rebecca's going to be buried there. And Leah will be buried there. Rachel will not be buried there. But again, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca, and Leah, they will all be buried in this place of Hebron. So it is a type of heaven in the Old Testament. The scripture says that Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, and the Bible says the same as Hebron, the land of Canaan, and Abram came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. First time we see Abraham, tears flowing down Abraham's face. 
Amen? Even when God challenged him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice, we do not have a record of where Abraham cried about that. Obviously, his heart was broken as he presented Isaac. We know the story from last week. Uh, God told him to stop and not offer him as a sacrifice, but Abraham was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice and offer up Isaac, his only son, but he did not shed any tears. But with the death of Sarah, Abraham, the Bible says, he mourns and he weeps. And it simply means, the word mourning simply means to beat the chest. So Abraham is beating his chest, and I'm not talking about an uncontrolled situation. Anytime you have people who get out of control in their mourning, then what you have there is people who are blaming God for their pain. And a lot of times when, when people pass away, there's an uncontrolled crying that takes place. That dishonors God. And so when we see Abraham here, the Bible says mourning and weeping, it is not an uncontrolled crying that is taking place here. It is sanctified tears. It is a controlled mourning that is taking place. Do you understand that? Because any time a person loses control in their mourning or their weeping, then what they're saying is, God, you're the reason for my pain. But if you are controlled in your mourning, and I'm not saying that you can't express yourself when you mourn, because obviously we see a man here who is the father of the faithful. He is mourning. He's beating his chest. He's The word weep means to have the flowing of tears. So he's got the flowing of tears. He's beating his chest. But it's a sanctified tear. It's a sanctified weeping that is taking place in the Scripture. It's not Abraham just... Did, he didn't lose control of himself. Amen. Do you understand that? And, you know, there have been times where I've had to step into situations even with the people in the church because, you know, they'll have a tendency to just get out of control in their, their mourning. And, and, and I have to say to them, what are you doing? I understand your pain. But anytime you that line and it becomes an uncontrolled thing, it's no longer honoring to God. You know? So you weep, you let the tears flow. You lose somebody that you love. Let the tears flow. You may even beat your chest some. But you never lose control because that will dishonor God. And, and I'm saying it again so you'll understand. What you're saying when you lose control is you're saying, I don't believe that God is in control. Amen? So the tears have to be sanctified. Even when we weep, our tears have to be sanctified. It's to never be out of control. Amen? So Abraham mourns. He beats his chest. He weeps. That means his tears are flowing down his face. The first time we read of Abraham doing anything like this, it shows you his great love for his wife Sarah. We can understand that. You've been married to somebody for a long, long time and they pass away, even though you have a hope in the Lord that you're going to see them again, it is okay to weep. It's okay to cry. I think the other extreme would be that if you lose somebody and you know you're going to see them in heaven and you lose them, if there is no emotion at all, that, that's an other extreme. I think you move into the area of stoic, being a stoic then. 
to where you refuse to allow yourself to have any kind of emotion. And that's where the Stoics were, okay? The Stoics were a kind of people that would not allow themselves to experience any kind of emotion. Hence being Stoic, you know. So do not allow your body to have, have any experience of emotion. You know, you just walk around and you just be a Stoic. So there's another extreme. Christianity doesn't teach those type of extremes. It doesn't teach you to be a Stoic, which means to have absolutely no emotion. Nor does it teach you to have uncontrolled emotion. Both of those are not biblical, you see. So the Bible tells us that this is a man of God. And his tears and his mourning is a sanctified mourning. There are sanctified tears. There are sanctified tears in the Bible. As you go through the word of the Lord, the Bible says that Jesus wept. When he looked over Jerusalem, Jesus wept. We know that Peter wept over his sins. When he sinned against the Lord, he wept. The Bible says that whenever Paul departed from Ephesus, that the disciples of Ephesus gathered there and they wept. Those are sanctified tears. There are other things that happen in life that people cry about. They're not sanctified tears. They're crying for the wrong reason. You understand? They're not crying over because, uh, you know, sin in their life. They're not crying over the loss of a loved one here, in this case, Sarah. They're not crying over the fact that, you know, they're fixing to be separated from a man of God. They don't cry for the right reason, you know. There are, there are tears that are shed all over the world today, and they're not sanctified tears. People are crying for the wrong reasons. Amen? You know? And, and sometimes we have to be careful with our emotion. Even Brother Edmonds told me this a long time ago. He said, I've got to be careful with my emotion. I, I've got to be careful with what I allow myself to watch. You know, movie or whatever. Uh, because I, he said, I don't want to give my emotion to the wrong thing. I don't want to give my emotion to those things. And that really stu stuck with me. Because today, people want to, you know, they want to release an emotion. So they'll, they'll watch a movie or something and they'll just start crying for the wrong reason, you know? Does that make sense? So all I'm trying to convey to you is, and there's times that I've seen movies that make me cry. You know, they're, they're a good story. They, uh, they just move you, you know, the things that happen to people in life. It moves you. All I'm trying to convey you, to you is this, is that there's some emotion that's sanctified and there's some that is not. There are some tears that are shed for the right reason, and there are some tears that are shed for the wrong reason. And what we have here is a man of God who is shedding tears, not out of control, amen, but in a controlled way and in a sanctified way, he is mourning his dead. And we can understand that, amen. So Sarah has, has died. Uh, verse 3, notice what, what happens here. We see, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I want you to notice this. After a period of time of mourning and weeping, then Abraham stands up. That means he's got a job to do. He's got, he's got some things he's got to take care of in relationship to the death of his wife. He doesn't continue to mourn, to mourn, to mourn and not get things taken care of. He stood before his dead. Stood up before his dead. That means after that time of weeping, he knew that he had to get a job done. He has to go and find a grave for her. 
So we see the need for a grave, and we're going to see Abraham's negotiation for a grave. But he does not allow himself to be overcome with weeping and mourning to the point that it stops him in his responsibilities in life. Amen? He knows that he's got to go and arrange the funeral situation. He knows he's got to go and prepare a grave. Amen? He's got, and the Bible says, so he can hide his dead from his face. So these things are really important for us, and they're not really taught too much in the church about how to mourn, what type of mourning is acceptable to God. And then once you mourn, you have to understand there's some things you've got to take care of in life, responsibilities you have to get done. So you stand up before you're dead and you go and get the job done. You do not let the mourning and the tears stop you from doing your responsibilities in life. Amen? And Abraham is going to stand up before he's dead. He knows he's got to get the job done. Okay, so it's a sanctified type of mourning. It's proper. It's in order. The time frame is, is right. Now he's going to get up. He's going to get the job done. He's going to prepare the service, so on and so forth. Uh, he's going to hide his dead from his face. You understand what he's saying? So when we look at it very carefully, these are the steps of the righteous. Because we have a hope. When we, when we suffer the loss of, of loved ones, we're going to weep and mourn, but it's going to be a sanctified mourning. But we're going to look at the situation and say, I've got to get some things done here. I can't let this mourning and this sorrow overcome me to the point where I don't take care of my responsibilities in life. And thirdly, I'm going to have to bury my dead. I'm going to have to put them away from my face. How many people do you know today that after they've lost this loved one and they, they place them in the grave, they set up little shrines all over their house. You know, they've got pictures and maybe a certain room that they've memorialized for their dead so that every day that they go past that situation, they are reminded of their dead constantly. The Bible says Abraham put his dead away. If you're the kind of person that once somebody dies and you memorialize them and you maybe put pictures and candles and all this stuff in a room and, you know, then you're not putting your dead away from your face. So that every time that you go past that, that memorial that you set up in your house, it causes you to relive that experience over and over again. You enter into that depression and, and pretty soon it'll become morbid, it'll become dark, and it'll be become depressing. And, and you, you're not putting your dead away from your face. Amen. And it will cause you to enter into a situation in your life of despair. You can't do that. You have to mourn. You have to continue to live. You have to continue to take care of your responsibilities. And I don't want to come across cold, but this is the truth. And if you've got memorials today that are set up to remember your dead, you're not doing what Abraham did. Put the dead from your face. Amen? It's okay to keep the memories, but don't relive the mourning. Relive the death constantly. And how people today, you know, they've lost loved ones and all they can talk about is that loved one they've lost. Because they live in that death constantly. Abraham did not do that. 
He wept, he mourned, but he got up, he stood up before his dead, he took care of his responsibilities, he continued to live, he had a hope in God that he would see Sarah again, he put his dead from his face, he didn't constantly mourn and weep and live in that death all the time over and over and over. Amen. That doesn't do you any good. To, to be in a situation where you are in continual mourning for that person. God doesn't call us to do that. Amen. And we remember them. We thank God for them. But we put our dead from our face. And we're not going to build memorials. And we're not going to put up candles and flowers and pictures all over the place. And, because you're just reliving the death over and over and over again. And, and you just become a person that is depressed. A person that is in mourning all the time. So it's very important for us to look at this. And so the Bible says not only that, but Abraham buried his dead. Abraham did not take his dead and incinerate them. Abraham buried his dead. Why would Abraham bury his dead? You know, because... Uh, so many people practice this practice of incinerating the body. You know what I'm saying? What do they call it? Huh? Cremation. They don't realize it when they do that. It's less expensive. It doesn't take up, uh, you know, ground. So they think, okay, well, it's a good, it's a good decision economically. You know, it's not going to take up a plot of ground. It's, it's, um, it's going to be less expensive, so we'll just incinerate the body, we'll cremate the body. But I want you to notice something here. The Bible is very clear that Abraham is the father of the faithful, which means he is the example for the believer. And what Abraham does concerning his death is what you and I must practice concerning our dead. The reason why we don't take our dead and cremate them and incinerate them is because we believe in the resurrection of the body. And if you cremate your dead, whether you realize it or not, you made an economic decision out of that. What you are saying when you cremate that person is, I don't believe in the resurrection of the body. Amen. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but cremation of the dead and incinerating the body is connected to Baal worship. It is connected to sun god worship. And if you've done that, I'm not criticizing you or condemning you this morning. I'm giving you information so that in the future, if it happens again, you won't do the same thing. Because as a Christian, are you a Christian? As a Christian, we do what Abraham did. And that is we bury our dead, not cremate them. Because we believe that that body is going to be resurrected from the dead. And we do realize, you know, the body's going to decay and the worms and all that process. But we're stating when we put that person in the grave, we believe this body's coming up out of the grave. So we're going to bury them. We're not going to cremate them. We're not going to incinerate them. Do you understand that? I'm not a bell worshiper. You know? And I believe in this so strongly. That there have been times in the past I refused to do a funeral service where somebody was being cremated. I just won't do it. It goes against my convictions. It goes against my faith. It goes against what I believe. And, and I'm, I'm just not going to do it. 
I won't, I'm just going to tell you, if you ever come to me and you say, Pastor, uh, can you do a funeral service and, and I'm going to cremate? I'm going to say, no, I can't do it for you. Because I don't believe that that's biblical. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Abraham, this is what I was taught by my mentor, Brother Dice. He told me a long time ago, he said, the reason, Brother Carter, that we bury our dead is because we're Christians and we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Abraham is our father, so we follow in the footsteps of our daddy, of our spiritual father, Abraham. And so what I was taught, I live it. Amen? So it might be cheaper for me, it might be less expensive for me, it might save a burial plot, but for me, I was taught by my spiritual father that we are the seed of Abraham and we are to do what Abraham did. And he said, Abraham buried his dead. If you've done it in the past, then that's what you've done. But I pray in the future when you make decisions that you don't make decisions based on the cost of the funeral service, cremation versus burial. I pray that you base it on faith. On what Abraham did. Amen. Say praise God. So Abraham wept. He mourned. He beat his chest. He wept. He put, he stood up from before his dead. He took action. He continued to live responsibly, taking care of business. He needs a grave for his wife. It's not going to do him any good to stay in mourning. Amen. And let me just touch on this today. And in, in, in not even a relationship to, to death. But God does not want you or I to be in a position of continually mourning. If you mourn a sanctified mourning, if you weep over your sin because you've sinned against God, if you do that, wonderful. If you, if you weep, amen, because you've missed the will of God in your life, that's okay. But once you repent of that sin, you do not stay in a state of depression and darkness and mourning. God came to bring you resurrection life. And this man Abraham knew this would not be the last time he would see Sarah. And that Sarah is a type of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew it would not be the last time he saw her. So he buried her in faith. He wept in faith. The tears flowed down his faith face in faith. He beat his chest in faith. He got up from before his dead and sought a grave in faith. He put his dead away from his face in faith. And he continued to live victorious. He didn't live in despair and depression. Jesus came to give me resurrection life. He doesn't want you to be needlessly in despair. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many of y'all believe the Word of God today? That's the truth I believe with all my heart. So he is, he is the example. And so he, the Bible says, He went to the, the sons of Heth in verse 4. He said, I'm a stranger and a soldier with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Amen. So now he's moved in the negotiation process of burying his dead. Amen. The Bible said, The children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince. In the Hebrew, they said, You are a prince of God. You are a prince of God. They respected this man's walk with God to the point that they said, You are a prince with God. 
That's amazing. He had that kind of testimony that he was a mighty prince of God himself, a prince of El. And I think the fact that Abraham, the way he handled death was a witness and a testimony to those people that were around him. Amen. I think that when you and I come to a place where we're going to weep and mourn and bury our dead, that it should be a testimony to those around us that we believe that God is a God of the living and not the God of the dead, that He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Jesus said that, when He talked about God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what's He saying? What does that mean? When, when this, this reference, the title that He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why is that even used like that? Because God is saying, I'm a God of the living and not the God of the dead. That's why He took on that title of being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the way that Abraham handled this situation with the death of his wonderful wife, uh, she's 127, he's 137 years of age, the way he handled that was a testimony to those people that were in the land of Canaan that this was a man of God. Amen? People have seen the heathen. They've seen the unbeliever. They've seen the way the unbeliever responds to death. They see the unbeliever go to pieces. They see the unbeliever memorialize their dead. They see the unbeliever living in depression and despair and darkness. They know what the unbeliever does. They know how they respond. They respond as a people without hope. But Paul said, God through Paul says, we are not as those who have no hope. We have a hope. And when they saw Abraham, the way Abraham wept and mourned and stood up before his dead to take responsibility for his dead and to prepare a place for her burial. And, and the way that Abraham said, I'm going to put my dead out of my face. When they saw him, they said, you are a prince of God. You are a prince of El. I believe it was a testimony to those pagans, to those heathen that were around him, that he was a different kind of a person. And when you and I face death, hallelujah to the Lamb, we need to be the kind of people that when the unbeliever sees us, they say, there's something different about you. I've been to a lot of funerals, but I've never been to a funeral like this. And it's been said, there's, there's people who've come to the funerals that we've had in this church, and after they left those services, they said, we have never been to a funeral service like that ever in our life. Because when we, when we have our dead in this sanctuary, what do we do? We celebrate. We sing. We praise God because we knew we know where they where they've gone. We know where they went to. And there's no listen. There's no sense of yes. There's the weeping. Yes. There's the valley of Baca because we know we enter into our rest through the valley of tears. Yes. There's going to be the valley of Baca and yes. There's going to be tears. But when we see our dead laying before us, Hallelujah! They're really not dead. They're just sleeping. That's all they're doing is sleeping and someday we're going to see them again. And so as a church, when we get together, we celebrate and we sing and we rejoice. And I have had people who have attended those services. They have come to me and they said, I've never experienced a funeral like that in my life. And that's the way it should be because we are people who are full of hope. We are people of faith. And we know that we're going to see. Hallelujah. If that person is a born again believer... We know we're going to see him again. Now, if, if you're in a situation, you know that person went to hell, there's not a lot to celebrate. 
You see that person laying in that casket and they're not ready to meet God. There's not a lot to celebrate. There's not a lot to rejoice. There's not a lot to sing about because you know where they went. But as far as the believer is concerned, as far as a Sarah is concerned, it's a time, yes, to weep and to mourn and to remember. But it's a time to celebrate because we're going to see them again. They have entered into their rest. And in reality, and this is a true statement when we talk about the believer when he dies or she dies, we, we can say with a certainty, they're in a better place. How many people today, they'll just say that for everybody. They're in a better place. How can they be in a better place if they were not ready to meet their God? They're not in a better place. They're in a much worse place. Amen. But Abraham knew where Sarah went. And because of that, he acted like a believer. And it influenced the unbeliever around him. You are a prince of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. When I die, I want, I want to be a person when I die that you know where I went. Amen? I mean, I think I'd probably feel a little bit bad if you didn't shed any tears. If all it was was a big celebration and then you know you had a big festival... Hallelujah. He's gone. We got rid of him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're done with him. You know, I'd probably feel a little bit bad. So, I mean, shed a few tears. Praise the Lord. And Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. It should be a time of great celebration and great victory. And yes, we're going to go through the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Tears. But that's all right. Because we know we're going to see him again. I know. I remember when Brother Dice passed away. I remember the... Amen. I went into uh, that evening, that afternoon, my wife and myself went in to see Brother Dice. We knew it would be the last time we'd ever see him again. And, amen, he, he looked at us and, and he called us his children. Praise the Lord. He, he had enough ability and enough to know who was there and... So anyway, he called us his children. My wife and I left his bedside and we went to the church. That's where we went. We went to the church over on Brazos Street and we just went before the Lord and we cried. And we shed tears. Because we knew that would be the last time we'd ever see him in this life. And we got the news the next morning that he had passed away. But I know I'm going to see him again. As long as I make it, I know He made it. I know He made it. And, and as long as I make it, I'm going to see Him again. So I don't live in this, this, this morbid depression and darkness that's not of God. Amen? Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. When a saint dies, it's precious in God's eyes. And for us to walk around and, and you know, just stay in despair is it, it, really a lack of faith because we're saying, God, you're the reason for my pain and I don't believe I'll see him again. But I know I'm going to see Brother Dice again. I know I'm going to see Sister Celia Wary again. I know I'm going to see Sister Gabby again. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And so on and so forth. There are people I, you know you're going to see again. And that, that's part of being a Christian. That's, that's part of, uh, of being a person who has hope that, that this is not the last you'll ever see him again. 
that when you pass, you go up to that gate, they're going to be waiting for you. They're going to receive you. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. That's what being a believer is all about. If you want to live in a continual morbid despair and depression and darkness, you're in the wrong faith. Because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. If Jesus died and rose again the third day, we know because, because He lives, we shall live also. And this is the way Abraham had handled the death of his beloved wife. He handled it by faith with strength. And yes, he wept, but he got up, he took care of business, and he put his dead away from his face. He knew he would see them again. In fact, he knew he would be buried with her in Machpelah, in there in Hebron. He knew that. Do you understand that? So we have a hope as a church. How many services have you ever been to a funeral service? And I don't like to go to funerals. I don't like to go to funerals. Except it be for a believer. You understand what I'm saying? You with me? I like to go to the funerals of the believer, but I don't like to go to the, to the funerals of an unbeliever. Because there's nothing there but depression and mourning and darkness. and There's no celebration. There's no victory. I don't like to go. I've had friends that have died that I, were my best friends in high school and I absolutely refused to go to their funeral. Because number one, they didn't die right with God. They died in car accidents, addicted to alcohol and drugs. Didn't go to their funeral. You said, but you're supposed to remember the dead. No, 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 no. I don't want to go there. They didn't die right. And I won't ever see them again. So why do I want to put myself in that situation and experience all of that mess? Now you can do what you want to do. I'm just telling you myself. Amen? And I know people, they'll, they'll, as soon as they find out the death of some uh, you know, loved one, somebody in the family member, I mean, it may be a distant 50th cousin. And they're on the road to go to the funeral. And I'm going, okay, go ahead. I'm not going to try to stop you. But why are you going? They weren't believers. You're never going to see them again. I understand paying respect for the dead, but I just don't tick that way. I'm not just going to go and sit in a, in a service that does not glorify God. Amen? That doesn't celebrate the, the, the great and mighty God that I serve. That when they put me in the ground, I'm coming up. I said, I'm coming up. I want to go to a place where that the, the believes precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. Hallelujah. And I want to know, listen to me carefully, I want to know where you went when you die. Because everybody in this church is going to die if the rapture doesn't take place. Everybody in this church is going to die. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Everybody's going to die. But if you'll prepare right now in time for eternity, when you do, we know where you win. It's going to be an awesome, blissful experience. You're going to enter into your rest. You're going to enter into a wonderful bliss that, that you cannot begin to even to imagine. You wouldn't want to come back here if you could. Heaven is such a glorious place, such a beautiful place to see the face of Jesus Christ. Why would you want to come back to this? And if you believe that that person was ready to meet God and the first face that they saw 
when they passed from this life was the face of Jesus. Why would you not celebrate that? If they were to come back to you from the dead, they would say, why are you crying? Well, we miss you. I understand that. But I'm in a better place. And the joy, the joy. Yes, we passed through the Valley of Baca to get there. But I'm telling you, that's, that's where I'm going. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? And people, they, they spend so much money to stay on planet Earth. Hallelujah. Why do you want to stay on planet Earth? Is it maybe because there's a fear in you that you might not be ready? Because if you know you're ready, you're just going to sleep. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful thing. Precious in the eyes of the, uh, of the Lord is the death of His saints. Hallelujah. And some of y'all are getting older and we're going to be holding your service, funeral service. I know you don't want to hear that. But we are. And I might beat you there. I don't know. I don't know when God's time for me is. I might beat you there, but we're going to have your service. And when we do, I want you to know we, there's going to be some tears that maybe will be shed for you and we're going to mourn. We're going to miss you. But when we know we're going to see you again. And so we're going to celebrate because we know that you through that valley of Baca, through that valley of suffering, you made it to where you need to go. And that's with the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? As I said, I've to preach before you. I can tell you that I have to overcome your thinking about death. Because I mean, as I preach about death, some of you are just like, mm. Hallelujah. I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen to you to get you there. I don't know the circumstances, the situations that's going to get you there. I don't know what door you're going to go through to get there. Maybe you'll die from sickness. I don't know. Maybe just old age. I, I don't. I can't tell you what door God is going to use to allow you to get there. But if you get there. Can you imagine? That's why you live. That's why I live. I live for that. You live for that. So that we can spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. That's why you go through the valley of Baca. The valley of tears and the valley of suffering and the trials and the test. And Sarah went through hers. Sarah went through that time of suffering. She went through the time, the valley of Baca, the tears. She went through the time. Amen. She lived at Ur of the Chaldees and God told Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees and Sarah said, I'll go with you, Abraham. She had to get up. She had to pack. She had to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Amen. She had to leave some things behind to go to the promised land. But she was willing to do that. And there were some times in her life when she wasn't what she should be, what she needed to be. But I think even in those times, her heart was right. Even when Abraham told her to lie about their marriage when she went to Egypt to protect Abraham's life, and then when they go to Gerar and in order to protect Abraham's wife, she's asked to lie. I, I, I believe that honestly she was wrong. She missed it there. But at the same time, she was still protecting her husband from death. 
There were times in Sarah's life where she lapsed in faith. She laughed at the message of the promised son. She laughed at that in unbelief. She manipulated the situation and told Abraham to go and take Ishmael or Sarah or Hagar to be his, you know, his handmaiden and, and conceive a child, Ishmael, which was out of the will of God. She lapsed in faith. There was times when she mistreated cruelly Hagar. She lapsed in faith. There were times when Sarah was not the kind of woman that she needed to be. But when she died, she had grown up. When she died, she died as a woman of faith. When she died, she had grown up. And I'm just going to tell you this. She's a type of the church. She's a type really of you and I. But some of you ladies need some help today because you need to understand as you look back at your life, you can see one failure after another failure after another failure. And you've been through the valley of Baca. The time of suffering, the time of tears in your life. And you haven't always done things the way you should do them. You haven't always handled things the way you should have handled them. And there were times when you lapsed in your faith. But use Sarah as an example in your life. That even though she had the lapses in her life, the lapses of faith, and she wasn't a perfect woman in everything that she did, she grew up. She matured. Amen. Y'all hearing with me today? And even, even in the failures of her life and the weaknesses of her life, she still had prophetic words in her house. She still had the presence of God in her tent. The glory of God was in her tent. The prophetic word was in her tent. Angels came to meet with Sarah. That's the kind of woman she was. She was a light in the midst of darkness. So no matter what your failures have been as you have walked with God, remember this, as long as you continue in faith like Sarah did, as long as you grow up, as long as you mature, hallelujah, you'll be recognized as a woman of God. Amen. And a man of God. Who of you and who of us can say, can I say that angels have come to visit me? Can I say that the presence of God is in my house? I think the presence of God is there. Uh, maybe angels have come to visit, but I didn't see them. Maybe the pre prophetic word of God is in my house. Amen. Are y'all with me here today? But she had all of these things in the midst of all of her failures and all of her weaknesses. How many women, as I just talked to the women right now, how many of you have gone through things in your life that you regret? You'll be honest. you say, I know, Pastor. I haven't done the right thing every time. Neither had Sarah. Neither did Sarah. But she was an awesome woman of God. She was a woman when God told Abraham to leave her of the Chaldees. She got up and left her of the Chaldees by faith. You understand. She was a wonderful woman. She went into a land where when you first walked in there it looked like it was nothing but desolation. But the Bible says... As a woman of hope, she stayed in very difficult, desolate situations. And the Scripture says in Isaiah 49, you get a chance to read it, it talks about that place where there was not very many people there, that it grew and grew and grew to a place where there was not enough room to hold them, including Gentiles. It's a picture of Gentiles coming into the faith as a result of Abraham and Sarah. It wasn't just Abraham, it was Sarah. 
you with me here today. She's a picture of hope. So no matter, no matter what your journey is in life, no matter how many times you might have failed, the good news is, is you can mature like Sarah did. And, and even though you may laugh in unbelief when you hear the good news and the promise, God can turn that laugh of unbelief into the laugh that laughs against impossibility. The Bible says when she first laughed, she laughed in unbelief, a failure. But when her son was born, the Bible says she broke out in a choral of celebration, a song of praise unto God, and the Bible says she laughed again. The first time she laughed in unbelief, the second time she laughed, she laughed in celebration and laughed at the impossibilities that were facing her because, are y'all with me here today? Her womb is dead and, Sarah, and, old, and Abraham's old. They're beyond childbearing age. And, but when Isaac is born, the Bible says she laughed. She laughed at impossibility. God gave her potential and she gave back to God manifestation. You are a person of hope. You may have not always done everything and been everything you need to be, but you are a person of faith. You're like Sarah. Amen. You may be in desolate situations, but you stayed there by faith and you believe that God can turn a desolate situation, an empty place, into a place of fullness. You're the kind of person that knows that God gave you potential. And with the potential that God gave you, you're able to give back to Him a manifestation. Are y'all with me right now? God gave Sarah potential and, and Sarah gave back to God manifestation of promises. She was a woman of hope. Are y'all with me here today? She was a woman not only of hope but and of potential, but she was a light that shined in the midst of darkness in her generation. She was a bright light. She was the woman, the Bible says in the book of Peter, that was a, an example to the Christian woman of how to be a Christian woman. We look at it over in Peter. Let's go there. In 1 Peter chapter 3. You should have a hope this morning. First Peter chapter 3, this woman of God is an example of holiness. She's an example of holiness in her speech. She's an example of holiness in her dress. She's an example of holiness in her character. She's an example to Christian women about how to be a Christian wife, a Christian woman. Failures, yes, but a woman of God. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, you wives, being subject unto your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great price. After this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and not afraid with any amazement. 
Even though she had these lapses in her life, difficulties that she went through, and she wasn't always what she needed to be, God holds her up as an example to the Christian woman of how to talk, how to dress, and what kind of character you are to have. A meek and quiet spirit. What a mighty woman of God. Do you understand what I'm preaching? She's the type of the church. So no matter what your journey has been, and no matter what your failures have been, God, listen, if you grow up and you mature, God can look back at your life and say, you are a woman of God, a holy woman of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible tells us something about Sarah. The people of faith, the heroes of faith in the Word of God. are recorded in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And what does God say about Sarah? Through faith also Sarah herself receives strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. There was this... this the first laugh, a laugh of doubt and unbelief, but there's something that got a hold of her. As the Word of God was able to be received by her, she started walking by faith and started believing the Word of the Lord. And she said, I believe He is able. What my God said is not just a promise, but my God can do what He said. So I'm just trying to show you what kind of woman she was. She was a woman, really, who against hope, she was a woman of God, an example of being a holy woman of God. And she died a mature woman of God. Don't quit. I'm preaching to some of you young women in the church, and that could be anywhere from 75 down. And you look at your life and you're just, just, just despair. And all the mistakes you've made, and all the failures you've made, and you just crucify yourself on a daily basis. You need to look at Sarah. In a sense, we could call her perfect. Because her righteousness was not in herself. It was in her God. And God held her up as an example of holiness. And God held her up as an example of a woman of God. Example of a woman of faith. Hallelujah. So don't give up on yourself. Because God hasn't given up on you. You keep living for the Lord. And through all of that suffering, and through all of those tears, maybe repentance, whatever it might be, someday there's going to be a door open unto you. And that perfection you're striving for as a woman of God, and that perfection you're striving for as a man of God, someday you will have it when you go through that gate. The song we sang today is going to be worth it all. I'm preaching a message of hope to you. I'm preaching a message that should encourage you. And if you're not careful, you're going to live in your failure. God doesn't want you to live in your failure. Replace your failure with faith. Get up and live holy before God and see what God can do with people just like Sarah. Let's go to uh, Psalm 37, 18. We're going to see hope. Died in hope. Don't be surprised if your pastor stands up and preaches this message in your funeral service.
or in a funeral service in the near future. Look at the Word of God, Psalm 37 and verse 18. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. This is what happens to the, the wicked. But thanks be to God, He knows the days of the upright. He knows exactly how many days you're going to live and how many days I'm going to live. And the Bible says, and their inheritance shall be forever. That's the hope we have. I want you to see where Abraham and Sarah started out. Let's go to the prophet Isaiah. See where they all started out. Isaiah 51, 1 and 2. Do you think they just started out being awesome saints of God? Do you think they were born awesome saints of God look at Isaiah 51 1 and 2 where did they come from where did you come from where did I come from what has God done for me what has he done for you Isaiah 51 1 and 2 hearken unto me ye that follow after righteousness ye that seek the Lord look unto the rock whence ye are hewn and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He said, look at Abraham. Look at Sarah. Look where I found them. I found them in the pit. I brought them out of the pit. That's the mercy of God. Abraham was an idol worshiper when God found him. God found him in the pit by mercy, raised him up by grace. Sarah, no different. What an awesome story, a symbol of hope. Amen. So this is the way she died. She died grown. She died mature. She had made it through her difficulties. She had overcome her difficulties. She becomes an example of hope, an example of holiness. And you need to understand by, behind every great man, there's a great woman. When you look at Abraham and you see the, the Bible says, even the sons of Heth said, you are a prince of God. Well, Sarah's name means princess. She was a princess of God. And so when people started putting compliments upon Abraham, maybe not so quick to put a compliment on Sarah, but behind Abraham, the prince of God, was a princess of God. Behind every great man, there's a great woman. I'll just tell you that. And Abraham was a great man because he had a great woman behind him. Amen? And some of you men need to understand, I know you're the one that gets all the compliments, and when see, people see accomplishments in your life, you're the one that gets all the credit for it. But if it wasn't for a great woman of God behind you, where would you be? Because in case you don't know it, I, we're weak. We might be physically stronger than the woman, but we're weak. 
If it wasn't for that woman of God that's a pillar behind you, a strong woman of God that loves God with all of her heart and serves God with all of her heart, where would I be without Sister Christina? Where would I be? Amen? Where would you be without a strong woman of God? Hallelujah? Some of the credit for what we are is because of our wives. If you're successful, you need to thank God for a wife that's strong in the Lord, a woman of God, a woman of faith, a woman that's filled with hope, a woman that's holy before God, a, a light in the midst of a dark generation. You need to thank God for her every day. How many of y'all know that your wives put up with a lot? They put up with a lot. They put up a lot. My wife puts up with a lot from me. Amen? When I have a bad day, guess what? She puts up with that. You hear what I'm saying? I need my wife. You need your wife. You need to thank God. You know, we walk around all prideful, acting like we the man. You know? You tell them, I'm bringing home the money, you know. I'm bringing home the bread. All you got to do, right, all they got to do. That you said it right when you said all you got to do, you said it right. But the problem is you haven't considered all they got to do. Amen. Behind every strong man, there's a strong woman of God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Hallelujah. And Sarah was a mighty woman of God. Not perfect in everything she ever did in life, but perfect in her God. Amen. She's a woman, a picture of hope. She's a picture of a, a true woman of God behind a strong woman of God. Are y'all here with me today? She's a woman that took the potential that God gave her and turned it into a manifestation. She presented to God the fulfillment of promise. When you start, God gives you potential. And what He requires back from you, from that potential He's given you, is manifestation. They say, God, I manifested it. I gave birth to the promise you gave me. And He gives every one of us potential. What are we doing with that potential? Are we going to present back to God manifestation? He does it for every one of us. So this great woman of God, no wonder Abraham, for the first time in the Bible that I read, the first time Abraham allows tears to flow down his face. This is his lady. The Bible says, And the children of Heth answered Abraham, verse 5, saying unto him, Hearest, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us in the choice of sepulchres. Bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee this sepulchre but that thou mayest bury thy dead. He said, we'll give it to you. We'll give you the sepulcher. See, he's negotiating for a burying place for his wife so he can put his dead from before his face. And they're willing to give it to him. He has made such an impact upon them. He wants to buy this sepulcher in the land of Canaan because he knows God promised that land to them and eventually it would all be his. So he's going to purchase this in this area as a testimony that God will keep His promises. 
But they say, we'll give it to you, Abraham. Verse 7, Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. He communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and treat me to Ephron, son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his, of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for possession of a burying place amongst you. He said, We'll give it to you. Abraham said, No. Abraham said, no, I want to pay money for it. And I want to give you the amount of money that it's worth. Don't need, you don't need to give me a place to bury my dead. I'm going to purchase a place to bury my dead. And whatever it's worth, that's what I'm going to pay. See, he was not only the kind of man that had sanctified weeping and the kind of man that when it came time to be responsible to take care of a place for her to be buried and put her out of his sight and these various things. But when it came time for him to do business, he was the kind of man that handled his business correctly. That's a testimony. And, and it's okay for all of us to seek bargains. I mean, that's part of the American way. But there's some things that are worth a certain amount of money, and you know they're worth a certain amount of money, and, and so you shouldn't be trying to, you understand? Make deals. Hallelujah. You let somebody give you an estimate, you pay the estimate. Now, you, need to, you can hold them at their, their estimate, hold them at that requirement but when they make the estimate and you make an agreement you say okay praise the lord and are you with me here today and you can hold them to that but i'm just saying to you this is that as a believer it's important that every one of us that we handle our business right with people but then people come to us and you know maybe they want to do this or maybe they do no 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 it's worth this much i'm gonna pay you for it I appreciate the good deal, but I know it's worth more than that. You hear what I'm saying? I don't think it's a good testimony, honestly, you know, for preachers, for myself to always be wanting for a preacher's discount. You know? What do you do for a living? Well, and you go in there and you tell them when I'm a preacher just with the whole intention of getting a preacher's discount. Maybe they shouldn't find out that you're a preacher until... You know, way, way off in the deal. I'm not trying to say don't bargain. I'm just saying when you know you got a good deal, pay the price. Amen? Christians are, are not very good business people. They don't handle business very well. And that's sad. When the children of Heth when they know, when they find out they got an Abraham in their midst, they ought to see an Abra a man or a woman of God that handles business and handles it right. Amen. Anybody here? You shouldn't have the reputation of always trying to find a way around your responsibilities. Are y'all with me? That's not good. 
It's not a good testimony to the Lord. Because people in the world are looking at our lifestyle. Are we taking care of our business? What kind of business person are you? If you're the woman and the woman in the house that you make sure the bills are paid, you're the one, forgive me, but I'm going to bring practical application because it's in the story. When Abraham got ready to enter into a business transaction to negotiate for, and he did, he negotiated for a bearing place for his wife. He said, I'm going to pay you what it is worth. I'm not looking for a way out. God wants us to be responsible. He wants us to be good business people. Do you understand that? And you're going to see this, that Abraham was very wise. Not only was he willing to pay what it was worth, he put it in contract. When he did business, and there was a negotiation for that sepulcher, and it was made, the amount of money that it would, it's recorded in the scripture, exactly how much he would pay for it. He entered into a binding contract with the sons of heaven. Well, somebody said, well, Abraham did wrong because he entered into a contract with the unbeliever. This is a business transaction. There was nothing wrong with what Abraham did to enter into a business transaction with an unbeliever. But he made sure he paid what it was worth and he made sure that when he did it, he entered into a contract. It was a binding agreement that held Abraham responsible for it and those that he was entering into the agreement with. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not trying to be your judge, your jury, your prosecuting attorney. I'm your pastor. But at some time, you know, especially if God blesses you, you enter an agreement to pay a certain amount of money, you make sure the contract's right. That's what Abraham did. He was, a, he was an upstanding citizen. He was a stand-up kind of person. Hallelujah. And you might be sitting there again today and you might say, well, I haven't always been. But you can now. You can change now. And they may have known you as a double dealer in the past. They may have known you as a swindler in the past. They may, know, may have known you as a person that doesn't fulfill your responsibilities in the past. They may know you as that kind of person, but you can change today. Amen. I want people in the business world, when they think about me, to talk about me in a good way. You hear what I'm saying? That's a man of God. That's a woman of God. That's the way I want him to see me. I don't want to see me as somebody that's lax in my responsibilities and don't take care of my business. You say, but pastor, I'm in a situation and I can't always do that. You can communicate it. You, can't, you, 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 you can communicate it. You can say, I just can't make it right now. Can you help me with the arrangement? That's just good business. Don't let it go and go and go and go and then let them chase you down. Nobody should ever chase the believer down. Amen? So even the area of a sepulcher. You know, Abraham might have said, well, you know, I am grieving right now and it'd be nice to have this gift given to me. He didn't. He said, I want to pay for it. And I want to pay you what it's worth. And I'm going to enter into business transaction with you. 
I'm going to give you a little testimony in case you don't know this. And I'm not saying I will do this for everybody because God is not going to move on us to do this for everybody. But Sister Celia died, passed away, went home to be with the Lord. And she left an aunt and her mother sitting in her house when she died. When I walked in that room and I saw Sister Celia laying in the floor, 60-something years of age, and she had gone on to be with the Lord, what I noticed was there was an older aunt and her old mama sitting in the corner in her wheelchair. I think totally oblivious as to what had happened. I'm her pastor. I'm in covenant with Sister Celia Wary. She was in covenant with us as a church and with me as a pastor. And her family members got together. Obviously, they didn't necessarily believe in what she believed. They didn't think it was necessary the way she lived holy before God. She had in her family members Baptist preachers that were there sitting with me when I met with the family at the time of her death. And they knew, Sister Celia had told them that I would do the service. It wouldn't be a Baptist minister family member that I would do the service for her. So they sit around and they started talking about various scenarios and they said, okay, what we'll do is we'll take her and we'll, we'll put her in the county grave. Well, I remember talking to Sister Celia and Sister Celia had a certain place that she wanted to be buried in and it wasn't in the county. So as the family members were talking about they're going to put her in the county to save the expense, I remember what she said. And I said, oh no, you're not burying her in the county. The church will buy her place. The church will buy her plot. And the church bought Sister Celuary's plot. The paperwork to that plot is in the cabinets of this church. But this church, you understand what I'm saying? Owns that property. See, they wanted just to put her in the county. And then, no, that's fine. That, that's what you want to do. That, I'm not condemning them as a family and not condemning you. I'm just saying, as a man in covenant with her, knowing what her request was, I had to fulfill it. And we did. I never regret it. But there's just some things you, you don't want to take shortcuts on. Does that make sense? Yeah, we could have saved the expense. No. We can't do that. I can tell you this, the church has never missed a penny of it. Amen? And as people of God, we need to be those kind of people. Praise the Lord. How many of y'all agree? This is Abraham. She's my wife. I'm going to pay for this sepulcher. And I'm going to enter, enter into a binding contract with you and so that when I die, I'll be buried there with her. 
when Isaac dies and he will die in Hebron, he'll be buried there. Jacob dies, he'll be buried there. Rebecca dies, she'll be buried there. Before Jacob dies, he will say, bury Leah here. When Jacob got right with God, he said, bury Leah here. You understand? So he enters into this contract. Verse 11 said, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave there is therein I give it thee, and the presence of the sons of my people give it thee. Bury thy dead. I'm going to give it to you. Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephraim in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim. And Abraham weighed Ephraim the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth. 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. He paid the full price, the full value of the sepulcher. Exactly what it was worth. I'm glad he didn't take on the idea, well, let's see if I can save a little money here. I'll just incinerate her. I'll just cremate my wife. It is not even right to take on that position. No, I'll pay... 400, 400 shekels of silver is a lot of money. He paid it. What if, what if your wife goes before you? You want her burning you up? <laughs> Amen? You might think, well, she gave me a hard time all my life. She spent all my money in life. She's not going to do it in death. Forgive me. But I, I had to laugh about some of this stuff, you know. I'm going to cremate her. Well, you better be careful. Because you might go before she does. Amen? <laughs> she might throw gasoline on your body before... <laughs> Got to be good to each other. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I kind of wonder if some of you, if they set fire to you, if you'd ever burn. <laughs> they just probably have to keep throwing wood on you, man. You just, you just won't burn up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. But he didn't take that approach. He buried his dad. <laughs> If Sister Christina goes before I do, I'm going to bury my dad. If I go before she does, she's going to bury me. There's not going to be no cremation involved. It's going to cost a little extra money. That's all right. Amen. And the field of Ephraim was in Mechpelah, which was before Mamre, 
the field and the cave which was therein and all the trees that were in the field that were in all the borders round about were made sure. See, it's a contract. He made it sure. There's a guarantee. He didn't just buy it. He put it in contract. Unto Abraham, he says, for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in all the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mepili, before Mamre, the, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that was therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. And becomes a type of Abraham's bosom. The dwelling place of the righteous. And Hebron speaks of a place of being in fellowship with God. So that when his dead were buried there, they were buried there in fellowship with God. A type of heaven or Abraham's bosom of which you and I go to when we die. Amen. Try to thank God for the example of this man of God, Abraham. The example of mourning, the example of getting up and taking care of business, the example of burying his dead, the example of being a, a, a businessman that can be respected, a man that enters into contracts, fulfills his contracts and agreements. A man that died and that, that believed in hope when his wife died. She died 127 years of age. Esther, her daughter, her spiritual daughter, Esther, ruled over 127 provinces. This is the kind of influence that Sarah had upon generations to follow. Spiritual women that would follow in her footsteps. It's no coincidence that she died at 127 that Esther, her spiritual daughter, ruled over 127 provinces. This is the kind of impact that this woman of God had and still continues to have as a type of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we thank God for Abraham as his example and Sarah's example in life. Let me pray for you. Father, I come before you right now and I ask your blessing to be upon each and every individual. And I pray, God, that the Word of God that's been preached today will, will guide and direct and lead and instruct decisions that are made in time and for eternity. I pray, Father God, for every person that's in this church this morning, that they would prepare in time for eternity. Thank you for the example of Abraham of how to handle the passing of a loved one in Christ. Lord, as we, we walk through the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, let us hold on to the sepulcher, the death and burial of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead. Let us die in hope, rest in hope, rest in peace. We thank you right now, Father God, for those that will prepare for eternity. That they will enter into their rest. Let us look at Sarah's life as a life that had failures in it. A life that grew up and mature. An example to the believing Christian woman. Of a woman of hope. 
woman who was strong in faith, a woman who was an example of holiness in words, dress, and character, a woman who grew up and matured, lacked it in possibilities. Just as you laughed at Satan, when Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and risen from the dead, God, you laughed. You laugh at death this morning. It is an enemy that has been conquered. So I pray for those this morning, each and every one, the saints of God and those that are in the process of becoming saints of God. Let us prepare for eternity. For each one of us will go into death with a hope of resurrection. And with a hope that we will see each other once again. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory and we thank you that you're that kind of God that you can raise us up even from the grave. Thank you for the truths that we've learned this morning that will help us live for you and make decisions in our life. Lord, when we mourn, let us not mourn uncontrollably. But let us glorify you even in death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you stand there, and I'm going I'm to keep my eyes closed, but as you stand there, as you lift your hands, you make a covenant with God concerning your loved ones. That you'll follow the example and the pattern laid down in Scripture. And that you will live for the Lord walking in holiness and righteousness with God so that when that day comes, your loved ones will know where you went. That you right now just make that commitment to God. A spiritual transaction has been made for you at the cross. Jesus purchased you that you might dwell with Him forever. Amen. Make that covenant with God so that when you face it, God will give you the strength to make it through. You might be a mighty example, a prince and princess of God before the unbeliever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One thing I want you to think about is the Lord Jesus Christ. When He was crucified on the cross, He didn't purchase a sepulcher, did He? He didn't buy a grave. Amen? Because He's only going to need it for three days. You think about that. And you know how Jewish people are. They're real good when it comes to finances. Jesus wasn't going to waste money on a sepulcher He's only going to use for three days. And I want you to think about this. He purchased you. He purchased me because we're going to live with Him forever in eternity. Hallelujah. Are you thankful for what the Lord has done? He's a mighty, mighty God. Lord bless you real good. We'll see you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. Please come in prayer.